Welcome to the Middleman Podcast. The following is a conversation with Tucker McGrath. Tucker is a very skilled craftsman. He truly does remarkable work. He sold more than a dozen of his own hand-shaped surfboards on my website, Local Board Swap, and his products are highly regarded. His knowledge is plenty on and off dry land and spans across many water sports and their respective equipment. His outlook is positive and his surfing is good. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Tucker McGrath. What is your background, inside and outside of surfboard manufacturing? Um, what are some skills you have? And what are some skills that one needs in order to be an effective shaper, glasser, etc.? Uh, where to begin? Um, well, I grew up at Beach Patrol since I was a teenager and you know that was a good job to have in the summer because you could surf a lot yeah uh, you're up early every day on the beach every day um, and then my boards are always getting dinged and I was frustrated with uh, the quality of the repair work and how long it took to get my stuff back so bit by bit just started learning how to do stuff on my own and ding work is a great way to get started building boards because it's all the same steps. It's just like a miniature version of yeah the and same maybe construction. You're using a popsicle stick and not actually actual tools at first. Yeah. yeah, and then you would see good ding work and ask, you know, how'd you do that? Yeah, how do you do yeah. it? Well, they're not doing it with a popsicle stick. So when you first started ding repair, what did it look like? Um, well, I got some practice in the beach patrol. If you got in trouble, like surfing on duty or fishing or something you weren't supposed to be doing, they'd pull you back to headquarters and give you tasks, mm -hmm. you know, in the yard. It could be sweeping, cleaning vehicles, washing trucks, like whatever. Uh, and part of that was ding repair because the mm -hmm. paddle boards were always messed up. You had a yeah. lot of summer kids with no surf experience handling boards and just the wear and tear of the job. They get damaged on the beach and there was always a stack. They had one guy full-time, all he did was fix boards. Really? Yeah, and he kind of... Which beach patrol were you at? Long Beach Township Beach Patrol, Long Beach Island. So how much of a beachfront are you working with? Uh, it's like five or six boroughs. Wow. Divided up around LBI. Um, doesn't cover the whole island. There's like other separate townships. So we're talking about like dozens of miles. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So well, now because LBI is only 18 miles. So wow. probably a dozen. Okay. They probably covered 12 <laughs> and then the rest is spread out through uh, other townships. But I, my borough was Holgate, which is all the way on the south end. That's where Wooden Jetty is. Okay. And uh, that was where I worked for. Did every stand have a paddleboard? Yeah, you're supposed to. Yeah, so yeah, that's and, a lot of paddleboard ding repair because I would assume yeah. that not all those people are swimmers that are handling them. Or no, well, some swimmer. kids are, and that was always, it kind of blew my mind because the, they stress swimming heavily. Uh, yeah. The swim test to get in was rigorous. Any collegiate level swimmers were... They're pushed you know, to the front. Yeah, they're super highly regarded, sought after, like the best hires. Not all those kids are great in the ocean. And I found that, you know, no matter how fast you swim... Uh, in a real situation with waves and possibly multiple people in trouble, you're going to get there first on the board always. Yes, always. And, and you're going to have something that floats up to 10 people. There's handles on it. Mm -hmm. And then if you need to wait for backup, you have like a yeah. 
the right tool for the job. Yeah, I always prefer the paddleboard. Even just even here in Bradley Beach, like not in bad situations whatsoever. I prefer it in situations where like everybody's in a rip current. Like you ever have those days where there's just like this total tug going to the left or you know going north, and nobody's listening. You you're we're whistling all day, and then you just got to go run out in the paddleboard and just like yell at everybody. Yeah, I'm, we, what we would usually do is kind of shepherd people. So one person, you know, your partner, sometimes you're a three to a stand. Mm -hmm. But one person was always either body surfing or riding waves on the paddleboard, you know, anticipating where people are going to drift to and having a presence there before they make it there. Yeah. So you're kind of like, you know, if you have a, a ton of rescues on your beach in a summer season, it might be really rough. It doesn't mean that you're a great lifeguard because mm -hmm. uh, so much of it's beach management and the way you set up and inform your beachgoers and everyone, you, you can kind of head off a lot of that. Yeah, they say, uh, I'm not sure you've heard it, they, they say the best lifeguard's a dry lifeguard. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's yeah. a good way to put it. I also, I don't like the reliance on the whistle so much. I, mm -hmm. I kind of kept a policy on my beach, like emergencies only. Mm -hmm. you, know, you, you need to get someone's attention now. Uh, if someone's just sort of drifting in the current and not where they're supposed to be, if they're not in any immediate danger, it's your responsibility to go talk to them because mm -hmm. they may not understand someone a hundred yards away, blasting a whistle and, and doing some sort of vague sign language that, that yeah. they don't know what it means, you know? Yeah. I found that a lot of times you don't need the whistle just because folks will look at you, you know, even like, even if you don't let them know that you're like directed at them. Somebody who thinks they might be in trouble will look at the stand, and then if your head's pointed in their direction, you just kind of give them a little point to the left. Oh, yeah. Over, you know, a little passive-aggressive. <laughs> They're like, am I in trouble yet? You're like, well, you might be, but come yeah. this way. It is sort of like an unspoken understanding, yeah. Yeah, well, so the reason I like the paddleboard for that situation is so you can sort of, like, jump in that rip with the paddleboard, and, uh, you know, you get up on your knees, and you're like, everybody over there. And it's just a much clearer way to do it because when everybody's like bathing, you know, when they're in the ocean, like up to their legs, they're looking out at the sea. So if you're on the board, you're in front of them in their line of sight. They don't have to turn around to look at the stand. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I yeah. like that much better. Your line of sight's better too. You can see further. Mm -hmm. um, there's just so many advantages over swimming. And I don't care if you're like D1 college level, mm -hmm. I'm going to cruise past you on a board. Yeah, yeah. And. A lot of times those people hesitate to get on the board. Like a lot of the swimmers on my beach, uh, they're not very skilled on the paddleboard. Yeah. And that's like a really important skill. Cause like, it's just like such a better tool. Yeah, it definitely. So I used to race prone mm -hmm. just within the patrol. Uh, I was always like, it was the tool that my whole beach patrol career revolved around. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, back to them being damaged all the time. You know, your, your go-to board was probably five or 10 years old. If you were lucky, you got a yeah. new one. But as soon as that gets damaged, and it always did, it gets rotated back to base. There's a huge yeah. backlog of boards that aren't done yet. And they might bring you something from like the 1970s. Yeah, what, what were you racing? Were you doing, were you using like crackas or dolphins or? We got dolphins later. We had some Joe Barks. We had force fields that were really popular for a while. Uh Never heard of those. Yeah, they're. I think they're Australian. They come oh, cool. in. They, they're most commonly ten six, but they come in twelve foot lengths. They're like super light epoxy construction. They're cool. usually square tails. 
they come in like all different rockers. Then we would have a drawing before races to see like which of our five boroughs would get which boards. Mm-hmm. It's like that's cool because in LBI the competitions are they're kind of a little different, right? Like it's how are they split up? Yeah, you're asking good questions because it would be different all the time. But within Long Beach <laughs> Township, there's five patrols. Okay. And we would have like a mayor's cup to see like who was the best. And then from that, we'd do islands, which was mm-hmm. us versus the every lifeguard on LBI. Okay. And then we would put together travel teams and go to Lavalette or the beach. Right. Um, so when you go to uh, regionals or nationals, how are you split up then? What do you mean? Like, I'm split up here in Monmouth County. So are you split up by boroughs and then to LBI in total or are you split up by like I wouldn't call it Manahawkin but like like how is it decided whose team you're on I don't know what they do today I know back then no none of the other townships wanted to partner with Long Beach Township oh so if we traveled we traveled like it was just six of us interesting doing like smaller level competitions around Jersey I never went to nationals so oh I got I got the chance to go one time and it was a kind of uh crazy experience and like all of the equipment there is like so so cool like there's this uh there's this like huge sort of like any tournament there's this huge like courtyard it's not really a courtyard where like everybody's equipment is just kind of like in a rectangle and it's so cool to see all like that new shiny stuff you know like boards boats uh buoys and shit and whatnot and like there's always a red bull there like it was such a cool uh like event to see that sounds like a lot of fun i know uh we would be told we were going to the state championships and then I would do research and there there's three or four different competitions that call themselves the state championship. Basically, oh. unless like Atlantic city and Brigantine's there, it's probably not Yeah, <laughs> as legit as they're trying to make it sound. So you got, so you got your career in ding repair started with the lifeguard stuff. Yeah. Very minimal. I mean, yeah. that was like a lot of popsicle stick level, mm-hmm. just get it watertight and get it back out there. So uh, let me ask you this about surfboards. Um, which was your first board? What made you get started? Um, yeah, I guess we'll start with that. First board was a Ricky Carroll. It's like a glass on fin, early 90s or like late 80s shortboard. But I was small. I think it was like a 6'8 or 6'6 or something. And I was only 8, so the board was oh, huge. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's what I learned on for a long time. Um, and I was lucky that my dad surfed. He did younger and then um, kind of taught himself again in his 40s. So oh, cool. it be something we could do together. And then you meet people in the water and they're, hey, kid, try this. And uh, definitely from an early age, like as soon as I hit like pre-pubescence and then as a teenager, um, lots of fish, lots of longboards, oh, yeah. lots of shortboard alternatives. So what has your decision process been like sort of like throughout that, like with boards? Like, what do you, what do you generally look for in a board? Has it changed? Sort of everything. I mean, there's, you know, the being on the East coast, like you don't have the best waves all the time, Yeah. but you want to spend the most time in the water. Definitely a lot of beach patrol influence. Like I would spend all day on a 10, six that's mm-hmm. super heavy, with big boxy rails and a single yeah. fin. And you know, that was what you had. And, uh, a longboard, even like a big nose rider is probably a foot shorter than that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like, if you get used to sort of like walking around on that and like jumping on the tail, actually getting that moving, like the, the paddle boards, like the rescue ones, 
then you would have like a really good time like eventually moving because you have like some logs right yeah definitely yeah. I, I you know i was never scared of a longboard because most of what i was using at work was bigger yeah uh and then just you know making sure choosing the right equipment for the day like i love thrusters and if i lived at you know rocky point or something i'm yeah. not sure i'd probably <laughs> ride one 300 days a year but we can't hear obviously so yeah you got to get kind of creative with it yeah and whatever also like lots of little rabbit holes that you know for one year we we kept a beater on the lifeguard stand mm -hmm. and i got in trouble for that a few times but it just made so much sense like if you lost the paddleboard and it hit somebody that hurts oh it could like serious yeah. head injury you know it never happened to me but you know you heard stories if you lost the beater like a seven-year-old girl would catch it in the short break and hand it to you yeah yeah she could know. take that to the face no problem no problem <laughs> yeah but the beater's not covered under like township insurance i guess yeah. so yeah it's probably a bad look to see somebody in uh, guard shorts ripping that down the beach yeah but we were also Holgate was sort of semi-autonomous we were geographically removed from headquarters like the furthest uh -huh. distance and the beaches aren't super populated you're not under a lot of scrutiny yeah and as long as they were getting reports that everyone was safe and the beaches were properly managed, we didn't. Holgate is like that part on LBI where... It goes, All the way south. Yeah, it goes from like four lanes to two lanes. Yeah, there's there's one road in, one road out. It's, you know, it ends at a federal wildlife preserve. Mm -hmm. And uh, and back then anyway, and still now to a certain degree, but there was like trailer park communities and stuff. Like it was mm -hmm. a, a little more like a I think neighborhood that burned no, it was Sandy had washed it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So some, it's not there anymore. Yeah, that's it was it existed on like this gray area and as soon as the storm wiped it out, developers just came in, yeah. their teeth bared and, which is, you know, it happens. Um Is that where you grew up? Summers, yeah. yeah. I I grew up in Blairstown, like almost uh, almost Poconos. Oh, really? But in New Jersey, yeah. Wow. So cool. I was cross country skiing and cool. Cutting fire, you know, I wasn't born on a farm, but I worked on one. That's cool. And then I, I spent the summers in LBI, you know, probably from the time I was seven or eight. Right And, and picked up surfing right away. Uh, That's a cool start. I, like, I appreciate, like, people who sort of, uh, um, like, get started in a place that's a little bit more real than, you know, somewhere like here where you're really not, like, in the elements as much. Like, I would really like to spend, like, some time in Maine or something like that and see what life is like for people who like actually fully stay there in those winters yeah bring warm clothes i guess yeah <laughs> i would, i think i'd drive to vermont before maine but yeah i mean i mean i don't know anything about up there really but i just that's cool so like what was that like what did you kind of take away from that like uh i guess it's hard to know because that's where you're from but like do you look back on that time? oh yeah sure all the time i mean growing up it was um kind of challenging like if you wanted to go out and do something with your friends there's yeah I mean, the closest mall was 40 minutes away <laughs> the closest movie theater was a half hour you know you're in Dang. high school you don't have a lot of money so gas is expensive so you don't want to leave town yeah a lot but we you know we had our own fun and then now going back there it's like the thing i love most about it is how remote it is yeah it's probably quiet as hell yeah and like you can see the stars really well at night oh, and sick. this is in new jersey you know awesome it's kind of it's very unJersey like. So you, so you started almost in the Poconos and then yeah. summers back and forth to Holgate. At what point did you start making money with surfboards alone? Like when when was so your, far never. 
So <laughs> not real money. Working a uh, get rich slow scheme over here. When did you actually start working as a glasser anywhere, or like a ding repair? When did that? Yeah, so in my mid twenties, twenty six, twenty seven, there was an opportunity actually up here in Neptune mm -hmm. to uh, apprentice with a glasser. Oh, so that's how you got started. You yeah. were an apprentice. Well, basically, I was doing all his ding work. Okay. Uh, he's left town since. Um, but he showed me the right way, at last, mm -hmm. the right way to fix a board. And I was watching him in full production and uh, gleaning what I could, taking notes, taking photos. That's cool. Um, prior to that, like, the, the beater introduced me first to Finless. And then this was, like, the 2010, 11, sort of, like, hipster year when everybody was either building an Alaya or, like, a mm -hmm. hand plane in the garage. And, you know, I was no different. I made one. But I really wanted to get good at it. Yeah. So I'd be driving down to surf, and there it would just be the Alaya mm -hmm. in the car until, <laughs> until I figured it out. <clears throat> you know, I was convinced the first three or four I made that they weren't working. The boards were fine. I wasn't. Mm -hmm. It just know. wasn't. It wasn't how you created it. So you started out just doing ding repair for this guy, right? And then what was next? Uh, well, I had just from you know tooling around with the the wood stuff and they're not really surfboards they're just like finless planks mm -hmm. but there's some you know you you learn some of the tools like you're still using a plane or a block plane lots of sandpaper um you're learning how to draw templates like one clean curve nose to tail and right sort of playing around with bottom contours and rocker even though it's like this rudimentary piece of wood that doesn't float well <laughs> or, or like surf in the, any real sense i mean they do um it also it brought my surfing back to zero uh sort of winding the clock back to like how so pre-contact hawaii style surf you know you if so it doesn't float great you, if you're caught in a rip that's it's like a, that's it it's more of an issue if it's crowded no one's giving you a wave you don't have any of the paddle power advantage yeah. you have to choose your wave different sit under the lip stay in the pocket there's super low center of gravity or you'll wash out there's no fins and you know all these are good habits on a regular surfboard yeah this is stuff that you're learning that like you can that will come back to you and then and then i, I kind of slowly built up from there like i was on the alaya and then on like old longboards for a while and mm -hmm. then sort of took myself through like 70 single fins and you know just riding something from every decade and sort of working all the pieces together and seeing how Cool. surfing evolved and then later when i started making my own stuff borrowing from all those boards you know the best parts that i thought yeah. would work well in the waves that we have so it's it was mostly like just experimenting with stuff that you saw was interesting and thought was interesting always yeah i mean i think a, a traditional thruster like you know 511 yeah 19 two flat it's probably the thing i rode least growing up oh really yeah well, i know you shaped a couple of them yeah i have um especially if if the waves are good for a season a fall or a good spring or yeah or if i go on a trip somewhere and then i come home and i just want something with three fins you'd be wrong to not have one in your quiver you know yeah i think you, yeah. there's there's room for it a lot of guys around here ride them really well yeah but you'd be wrong to have that be just your quiver uh as a surfboard manufacturer you have to be someone's friend and you also have to be somebody's business partner, which causes you to have some difficult conversations. 
when somebody's trying to have a like conversation about creating a new a board that they have in their mind and it may or may not be realistic either their timeline or their imagination uh how important is that relationship and that conversation uh to get something like that done yeah well i I like to hold a mirror up to people real quick um you know what's your ability what waves are you taking it in and and let's examine like what you really want because i can control how the board comes out but i can't control your skill level or the waves around here you know yeah you could sort of like you could shape a piezel for john john but if you're not john john it's not going to work yeah i definitely couldn't but i know what you mean (laughs) yeah yeah okay yeah yeah there's there's hard conversations that need to happen um so what are some of those like like so you're saying what what are your abilities and you're sort of like trying to catch them in a lie if they're sort of overstating it a little bit yeah not catch them in a lie but just you're setting their expectations yeah, you just want to stress the point that like I I can't make you better, but mm-hmm. I also as a you know if I'm building something for you, I want to bring out the best. I want to see you have the most fun in the ocean. That's really the coolest part. Yeah, delivering a finished product and seeing it perform well. What is your favorite way to make a board? What's your least favorite? Oh, what do you mean? I'm talking like. Uh, like EPS or like oh different construction yeah like yeah well so that's a whole other conversation like uh you know what boards are your favorite or what kind of construction do you like I mean I think it's all it's all valid I mean there's there's like hollow chambered wood boards that are cool that you know EPS expanded polystyrene or extruded polystyrene or whatever it's it's just styrofoam bead foam but Mm -hmm. as a core material if if you're building the blank right you're sourcing it from like a quality manufacturer and your glass schedule is is appropriate like you could make a really good product so pretty much because kind of what i was asking is like from the manufacturer side is there something that you prefer to work with yeah well the common answer i'll tell you is, is polyurethane blanks okay polyurethane blanks polyester resin and then uh you know usually pretty light glass schedule overall so what does light glass schedule mean? Like, what does that pertain? How many layers are you doing? Like two on the deck, one on the bottom. Mm. Yeah. And then a single fill coat that you apply with a brush and then you sand it and go try it out. Yeah. Um, they're the lightest. They have uh, the, the flex tune. Like, they're that stiff enough to go quickly through the water, but soft enough to be kind of forgiving. Mm-hmm. I think a good surfboard has like sort of a suspension system built into it. Yeah, some amount of dings on the on the deck. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, people freak out about like heel dents, like mm-hmm. in the used board market. They're like, "What about the pressure dings? Yeah, like, who <laughs> cares? You know, you kind of want something that's wa- well worn because mm-hmm. it shows it can it can stand up to a beating. Yeah, it can stand up to those dents and no more. And yeah. that it's been ridden a lot because someone liked it. Yeah. You know, I'm, as long as water's not getting in and the the bond between the glass and the foam isn't degrading at all mm-hmm. you still have a, a viable product um and poly is really easy to polyurethane is really easy to to shape mm-hmm. and to uh it's easier to laminate for sure like the whole board building process goes smoother uh and it's easier to come out you know to have a finished product at the end that surfs well like yeah performs but is also forgiving so that's sort of like the most mass manufactured uh like setup right there yeah, I think so. I think it's it's probably like the majority of like the market share. Yeah. Um, epoxy's gotten much more popular. Yeah, and like that's that's like a lot of what like Firewire does and stuff. Like, 
um because i'm thinking about like the seaside and whatnot like that's not really pu that's eps that's eps yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah and if you try and fix it with polyester resin you'll find out quick <laughs> yeah yeah it'll just melt through the bead foam doesn't that's why you use epoxy which is uh and epoxy is such a broad term like there's a million different formulas oh yeah uh, yeah it's, it's almost more like a glue than a resin yeah i don't know you talk to 10 guys you get 10 different answers you know what it actually is um we did some experimentation last year rosburn and i he was shaping a bunch of different eps foam boards mm -hmm. and we were using carbon fiber and kevlar and different exotic fabrics and lots of glass and sort of trying to come up with uh the board that surfed the best yeah and there were a lot that we didn't like <laughs> there were oh yeah yeah um so you see why a lot of surfers don't like eps but you know i'm, I'm hesitant to just write something off because i don't like it right away because mm -hmm. we also we made boards for other guys and got great feedback from them so you're trying out like when you were, were testing a bunch of things were you just changing the glass form were you just changing the foam were you changing everything yeah so i guess the shape was like the control in the experiment okay. and then we were glassing them differently cool cool <clears throat> trying to arrive at like the right you know eps epoxy formula dang that's an interesting thing to like kind of be uh part of because like the the odds might be low but if you stumble on something kind of revolutionary you could kind of find yourself in a situation that like firewires in so oh, like yeah how, maybe sort of like how their like construction is completely different well they're they're scaled up yeah you of know, course mass, that's what their boards should be like two grand it's, <laughs> yeah if you asked me to do like a vacuum bagged polonia wood veneer over an eps core and yes. still have everything like so maybe you're not going that route yeah it's just it's hard to do and that's why it's all overseas you know where labor's yeah. a little cheaper and not all the factories that produce firewire are the same so you see which i think at any brand that scales that big there's going to be variances in quality mm -hmm. so they have a really bad rap but conceptually i think they're kind of cool yeah i mean i've never ridden one but my me neither my friend's got a seaside and i just love the look of it the outline is so beautiful yeah that's a really popular board yeah i i can't stop dreaming about it and if you're if you're a creature of habit you're either the same thing like you could travel somewhere you go to japan australia hawaii you could find a seaside on the rack so you don't have to travel with a board yeah and you know, just rent or buy one there and you know you're getting the same like yeah. the exact same board it's like a mcdonald's it's gonna feel the same yeah exactly <laughs> yeah kind of yeah that's cool what's your least favorite construction for a board as far as the manufacturer is concerned uh, i mean just if anything that goes poorly and that's usually like my own uh negligence you know if i try and rush or skip a step or don't correct something you know you're going to make mistakes you got to fix them before you move forward not oh yeah. i'll fix it later and then you know the wheels can come off and you have it's put it this way it's really easy to build a surfboard that's like a seven out of ten mm -hmm. i think most people who are like reasonably skilled with their hands could figure it out yeah it's really easy to go from a seven out of ten to a six or a five mm -hmm. if you're not you know really paying attention yeah if you miss one step yeah, and then it compounds. So especially if you miss a step early in the process, right? Uh, you're gonna notice it later, and it's you know conversely, it's really hard to take something that's a seven and bring it up to an eight or a nine. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as least favorite construction goes, like again, I'm I'm hesitant to sort of write off anything. Like a lot of the stiffer yeah. the the carbon fiber boards we did were really stiff. 
mm-hmm. super unforgiving. It kind of didn't fit in the wave the is way that, that I wanted. Is that a compound that's like difficult to work with? Uh, yeah, it can be. Yeah. But there's techniques to all that too. And it just mm-hmm. presents new challenges and it's, it's fun to kind of face that and see how good you can do it. And then for my foil boards, I like them to be really strong, really stiff. Mm-hmm. So I take what I learn doing carbon work on surfboards. Like, you know, maybe you have like one failed experiment or two or three, but yeah, you translate those materials to a different board and they work really good. Yeah. I actually wanted to talk about that. So like, when did you start foiling? Uh, did you sort of see it like emerge and when did you sort of jump on that? Yeah. So as soon as, uh, that Kyle Lenny video went viral yeah. in like 2015 or 16 when he was in Fiji or wherever he was pumping from one wave to the next. Yeah. And, uh, I had questions, you know, I had a lot of questions about it <laughs> as we all did. Of yeah. And, and just like the finless rabbit hole or spending a whole year on a nose rider or like only riding glass on twins for a year. Like I would get really heavy into something and, uh, not change like no matter. Yeah. Know, and that was the next i just i knew and then i saw yeah. i saw i was filing kai and i saw him in new york doing it mm-hmm. and i'm like that's it like if, if, you know it's possible it's, here yeah if, if the east coast has waves like that's it yeah because i'm sure one of those questions that you had before you ever even saw a foil in real life was like do i need long period swell in order to grab all of that yeah, energy? Um, i had all the questions everyone asked me on the beach now like how do you start yeah what, how do you, you know, you just swim out and catch a wave, but no one in the early days was posting videos of yeah. the start. I'm like, is there a jet ski out of the frame? Exactly. What's happening? Yeah. 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 And the, the sports exploded and I was really glad to get in early because, uh, I've been a part of the evolution of gear and yeah, I've actually, I have a couple questions like specifically about that. Cause I was in the water with some guy the other day who was foiling and it's oh, cool. Where? Uh, at the L jetty. Oh, do I know him? Uh, his name? maybe no, I didn't, I didn't talk to him that much. Cause what he do you look like? Whizzing by me. What color board? Uh, it was like a gray board. Yeah. That's Ed. He's my friend. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. We cool. have like a crew now, which oh, is cool. Yeah. Cause it was just me. There for... was two guys there actually by the time I left at the LJD. Yes. Yeah, it well, it's probably Ed and Alex then. Oh, cool. Yeah. There, there's a crew of guys and, uh, it's nice to not just go alone all the time. I had actually never really seen one up close. Um, and it was like kind of uncanny to see a little bit because like he's just destroying us like and i'm like i see this wave out the back and i'm like i'm looking at that wave you know like i'm i want it and then i hear because this, this spin box is a little loose right so it's like clicking back and forth and he and he takes obviously he's not a dick or anything like that but like i wanted it how do you deal with that fin box to foil uh to board connection it seems like there's so much force going through that right there. Yeah. It so, can't be the same as the surfboard construction, right? No. And you, you can't think of it. You can't fall into the trappings of a mini surfboard. Yeah. Or when people say things like, Oh, the board's up in the air. So the board doesn't matter. The board matters. There's yeah. a lot of different designs I've, I've worked out. Well, first I've never bought a foil board. Oh really? Yeah. I, I get the foils from Maui, but the, the boards I built myself from day one, uh, that's been super illuminating because I've had a bunch fail. Um, you so know, what does it look like when it fails? What it rips in half. Yeah, oh it's, boy. it's not that the foil comes loose or like cracks out of the board. The, the force is so great on the board. It, it yeah. will tear it in half. I mean, it's the like board explodes. You're like, you're cranking your whole body on this thing. Yeah. So imagine glassing like a shovel into a board that you plan on standing on. 
Yeah. And you need it to hold, hold up to all the stress. So what are you doing differently in a surfboard and a foil board to make Some things the same and some things really different. So first of all, those are almost always EPS epoxy. Okay. A um, little bit stronger chemically. Uh, and again, like in, in the right hands, like that's not to say you couldn't make a, a PU polyester foil board. Some guys do. Yeah, sure. It might be really cool. But EPS, just because you can get block cut foam that's thicker. Mm-hmm. And you can make things that are, you know, like some of the boards are really on the surfboard, like uh, especially yeah. like for the wind sports or stand up paddle guys, mm-hmm. they're on like super large, bargy, buoyant boards. Yeah. So you start with EPS just because it's it's easier to get the blank, the target blank that you want. Do you tend to go stringerless? Uh, no, I like a stringer. Yeah. So you just do one stringer down the middle? One or two. It's nice to have two. And then the foil mount itself is two uh, single fin boxes. Uh. Like what's in your long, yeah, yeah, exactly. So the same thing that's in your longboard, same installation process. Um, what I've been into lately is, uh, two short stringers in the back of the board Mm -hmm. and the single fin boxes go straight into the stringers. Yeah. Right. And then how you glass, it's up to you. Like if you want to use carbon fiber or a glass or if, you know, there's a a million different ways to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, if it comes in under six pounds and it doesn't break, it's good. So. Uh, but I really like having that uh, stringer skeleton sort of internal structure within the board mm-hmm. and having the boxes go into that. Um, it, it's not only strong, but it's really good connectivity. So, yeah, yeah. you know, you're flying this thing that's like three feet under you and trying to anticipate, yeah, know, telegraph would, your moves. And I could imagine that like that your feet are, you know, that's where the energy comes from your body. And you would almost rather that energy go directly into the stringer and then the foil rather than the EPS and then the foil. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. Well, and it, it's hard to, to single out one thing, like, because it is a composite structure. Like, yeah. it's never just the foam taking all the load. Sure. It's the foam and the glass and the and the plastic and then the screws that yeah. attach the whole thing together. Like, it's, it's all sort of... But wherever the weak point is in that chain, you're going to find out really quick. Mm-hmm. Like, Ed's board right now is creasing in front of the boxes oh and it's it's like days away from it's taking on water it's like it's the titanic dude it's going down (laughs) and it also like it starts to get heavier and weight is a big issue yeah you want to stay aloft you know wow so what are some other problems that you've seen when constructing foils um like carbon fiber and stuff's really hard to work with if you're not vacuum bagging Mm -hmm. so if you're just using like a squeegee to lay it up by hand the structure of the fabric itself like the you know to to really get granular like the weave itself is a thicker it's like a heavier weight Mm -hmm. uh paper towel compared to like you know super thin glass that always lays flat and soaks up the right amount of resin so it's easy to to sort of have like little voids where air and water can communicate in Mm -hmm. so your blank has to be properly sealed uh, you should be vacuum bagging or using some sort of like a plastic barrier so that air can't get in while you're laminating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's like all the regular challenges of epoxy, like plus yeah. other stuff that could go wrong. What I was what I was most like focused on was like that creaking where like, because it sounded kind of like weird when like the there's like a little bit of play in that fin box. Like how do you... How do you do your best to mitigate that? Uh, yeah, so he's riding an Amundsen. Uh, they're from Hawaii. They're great boards. But he's been riding it for two and a half years. Uh, and he goes a lot. And he's kiting and winging and, like, you know, it's 
so it's a lot to ask from a board to last like yeah without making a little noise yeah <laughs> yeah the things it's just it's not abused it's used yeah and and your equipment you know it's a tool um you know definitely like a, a better stringer system on the inside of the board would fix that mm -hmm. uh and i'm you know i'm sure that company has done something to improve on that probably but if it's something that's regularly occurring then yeah in the last three years they would have figured it out i would hope surfing in the terms of way surfing is done now is a middle-aged sport i know you said there was a lot of pre-contact hawaii stuff but like as far as like surfing in the 21st century it's like middle-aged it's not as old as basketball but it's fairly new we've come a long way since the 50s right sure yeah it's an interesting way to put it we've Go accelerated ahead. pretty quickly um where do you see surfing going how do you expect things to change in the coming years yeah that's a tough question um you know, if, if you're trying to look ahead 10 years, it's instantly recognizable. If you're trying to look ahead 50, I don't know. It's it's frustrating to me because the all the materials for the hydrofoil have existed for for a while now. Mm -hmm. um, I think they had them on boats. Gosh, I think back in the 40s. So you're frustrated that the foil didn't, didn't exist. Didn't exist sooner. You know, I was... <laughs> 27 28 like, when damn, I why did I think of this? any good at it I could have figured it out when I was 14 oh man just the background I had like surfing skating growing up and the the, the amount of days it opens up and this is why I think it's going to mm -hmm. be more broadly accepted because one people thought it was going to be super dangerous and it's been shown that it's only really as dangerous as surfing yeah I mean the potential for catastrophic injuries there but not any more so than like the back of your longboard fin yeah arguably a little more but i understand why it's yeah not. i mean look maybe but so far the injuries the data is not there to to show that it's like super dangerous and it's more dangerous to the rider than people around him sure if the guy's like reasonably skilled and not a dick uh so yeah i think it's going to be more broadly accepted it just opens up so many days Mm -hmm. that you can go and have fun and, and go really fast yeah and locations i know guys freshwater foils there's like guys mm -hmm. in the great lakes oh, i have friends uh gulf coast texas friends in florida friends in like small wave places all over the world sweet and they're they're super into it and for the first yeah. time they're they're not only like part of the foil scene but they're they're like a hub for it like people travel and go there yeah to uh to surf behind tankers in texas or you know oh, cool. ride ride small waves in florida yeah or, they're probably getting way more ride time than they ever would like i'm thinking about people in north carolina or maybe not north carolina but like uh south carolina or like you know down there where the like they don't really get that much swell coming in there like i can imagine if you if you even own a longboard in like georgia or something like that you're probably going to be better off with a foil yeah i mean just it's just another tool another another piece of gear that gets you in mm -hmm. the water a lot more so i think you know that that'll be a big part of the future um it's also it's such a good wind sport too yeah so there's like river gorges and lakes and stuff that you know the guys are either like winging or kite foiling yeah which is super interesting like that's not even an ocean no <laughs> no it's pretty crazy and i guess if if you're wondering where the future's going you could just follow red bull or something like that on instagram yeah this maybe nuts did you see the I, video there was a guy uh with a parachute skiing oh yeah i've did seen those see, that was yeah absolutely nuts. they're like halfway between paragliding and skiing right unreal and here, here he's opening up terrain for himself that is inaccessible yeah because there's no entry or egress other than you know 
sort of lofting yourself into it. And I think that's really neat. Like he's not waiting in lift lines. No. Or worried no. about, you know, will the powder be there when I when I get up the hill. So I wonder where the next it'll be hard to, to know, but like I wonder what the next thing like that is for surfing. Yeah, foiling's definitely gonna spread people out. I think that um you know, name any good surf spot. If it's working, you're gonna surf. But if it's halfway working, it becomes like a really good foil wave because you can connect the dots. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can stay above the chop and you can mitigate a lot of things that would ruin an otherwise good wave. And it, it yeah. literally spreads you out. I mean, yeah, I think that's the best way to put it is that it's like you're yeah. not confined to like a hundred yards of area and you can connect the dots. That's like, that's huge. Um, but for surfing specifically, I think um, there's really exciting things happening in big waves. I think you're going to see a lot uh, more yeah. of that uh, where guys are sitting in the water and what they're capable of. Uh, and then at the performance level, it seems like every new generation of kids, they're just punting higher and higher. Yeah. It's getting (laughs) better and better. Unreal. And then I think wave pools too, we should probably include that in the future discussion because there's a lot of promising tech. It's still too expensive. It's not real. Like it's super early in the game for that. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's happening for sure. And that's kind of open it's just going to break the doors open yeah where that's actually one of the questions i had um like where do you see that where do you see that place in the world for artificial waves dude everywhere i i think it'll (laughs) be as ubiquitous as like ski resorts like yeah okay you know imagine you didn't have a chairlift how many of your friends would ski oh yeah like maybe a lot but like it would just be really different where when you introduce like when it becomes sort of automated mm-hmm. and you don't have to do like the hard hiking part it's much easier to commercialize it yeah definitely i mean you're gonna have to pay a fee at the door it's already like yeah but that's how skiing is unless you want to go hike mm-hmm. and then it's free i don't think that riding waves in the ocean will, will ever change yeah i guess I, I actually i like that analogy and it's i didn't even think about it but it's already there that the the innovation doesn't occur in the sport specifically the innovation occurs in the chairlift that gets you to the sport. Yeah, which pushes innovation in the sport. Yeah, yeah. You know, you I mean, I, I knew kids. I spent like a season in Colorado snowboarding, and there was one girl who learned in Michigan. I think she lived near like a closed landfill. Oh wow! You know, it's like wherever she grew up was flat. Yeah. So you know, you could stand on a phone book, see the whole town, but there was this landfill nearby. And they built a ski resort on top of it. It was like the only, but they had rails and a park. She's ripped. She's oh, a really sick. good snowboarder. Um, so yeah, I think you know surfing is going to be seeing some kid who's never seen the ocean. It's going to be really good. Uh-huh. It's already happening in Texas. Yeah, yeah. No, I I bet there's a lot of oil money down there. And if those kids got some oil <laughs> money in their mom's pockets, they're probably in and out of there every day. Man, that's cool. Um, all right, we could talk maybe a little more about like different kinds of boards. Um, like maybe we could dive into like the finless scene a little more, or, um, I don't know if you do anything with like standups. Uh, I'm not super strong on a standup. My girlfriend is. Yeah. Yeah. She, well, fiance now. Um, oh, congrats. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, when we met, you know, we'd go paddleboarding together a bunch mm-hmm. and it was cool to see her like ride waves and she had surfed as a teenager and I got her back into it. We go together all the time. Sweet. Um, Oh, that's also probably worth mentioning, like the future of surfing. A lot more women surfing. Girls. A lot more exciting. Right yeah. on. Uh, big waves, everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, the, the lid on that is, is about to blow off, which is super cool to see. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but yeah, stand-up's really fun. I'm, I've used it like flat water and touring and stuff. Just, mm. you know, getting around. I love going out in the ocean and like kind of not getting wet at all. Yeah. <laughs> and having like a good line of sight, just like on smaller days. Um, haven't experimented too much sup surfing above like chest high. Yeah, I haven't really been into it at all. But I, I do think it's it's really neat. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wish there was like more of a scene around here because if you go to Hawaii or somewhere, there's guys who are really good at it. Oh, yeah. And then you will you kind of view the sport differently when you see it. Yeah, like, it I validates think... it when guys are ripping and getting two rides and stuff. I think you would because like, it doesn't really have that good of a wrap around here. I was interested in getting like a, like a 12 or 14 footer to do like mm-hmm. kind of downwind runs. Yeah. Cool. Um, but tried it a few times and, and kind of hated it. Oh. Yeah. It wasn't as exciting as the same thing on like a, a prone rescue board. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, just like the, the word on the street, as far as like subs go, like they're, they're more or less hated, like in, at least in my lineup, like, uh, and maybe it's just <laughs> the guy, it's the guy with the paddle, not the board with the paddle, you know? Um, but they don't really, something about it doesn't really allow them to mix all that well, which is a problem that I hope doesn't really happen with foiling. Yeah, I wonder if the problem is, is with surfers that don't like stand-up paddleboards and not the stand-up paddleboards. Yeah. You know, like we have this one guy in LBI, I won't say his name, but everyone, if anyone listens, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, pretty poor etiquette. Yeah. You know, he's on the sub, he, but he charges like he'll go on bigger days and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he'll snake you pretty bad, but then he always has like snacks in the parking lot. <laughs> or like you know he'll put you in touch with some photographer that got a shot of you like he'll go cool. he'll do thoughtful things so i think his behavior in the water is probably just blissfully unaware that he's a nuisance mm. um but he's he hasn't gone anywhere and he's just like part of the machinery down there yeah and it's like oh so and so burned you like yeah it's part of it yeah you know? <laughs> so i guess like it's kind of just like he's been accepted uh, no not really but oh. i've seen him pay his dues caught inside and i've mm. you know when I, they usually sit beyond the lineup and they can sort of be like the canary because yeah. they'll see a set first. So if they move at all, I typically follow, Yeah. you know, and there's, there's a chance three waves are coming. They might get one. Yeah. You know, yeah. At least two for me. So like, I don't, I don't know. I don't hate someone because of what they're riding. Usually yeah. if I have a problem with someone, they're on a shortboard. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and usually if they have a problem with me, whether I'm like foiling or just surfing or doing anything, it's it's a problem they have with themselves and yeah and not me no that's a good way to put it and obviously like it it wouldn't there's no way it would have anything to do with the board that they have it's it's the person yeah and like the the hatred the kind of shifts like it was bodyboarders yeah growing up and but that's like such specifically an american thing i had friends from south africa they grew up and they they would bodyboard all the time Mm -hmm. you know we go out somewhere surfing and they yeah. would like go on their belly for a session, but then they still rip surfing. Like, uh-huh. like why did I cut that out of my early experience? Yeah, that is an interesting thing. Like, so you didn't really boogie board at all, huh? Well, I did as a kid, like in the shore break a lot. Yeah. And I, when I think on it, like it's, I used to stand up and surf them. It was one of the few boards I could duck dive when yeah. I was still like 10 and too light to get a, a short board, you know, like a six, eight, nineties yeah, sure. short board under the water. No way. Uh, so I learned a lot, but then because it wasn't cool, you like quickly abandon that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because there's like all, you know, they're called dick draggers and stuff. And like, you riding the sponge today? Um. Yeah, that's such like an uncreative sort <laughs> of like slur. I don't know, like a lot of bodyboarders. If you go to Puerto Rico and mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, which is not far, it's pretty close. You see a lot of guys that, or girls even, going yeah. for it, like huge tube rides, super shallow. Yeah, when I was um, when I was in Costa Rica, our our hostel manager, she was a she was a bodyboarder, and she charged it. We were at this heavy uh, reef break, and she was going for it. Yeah, and a lot of those countries where it's popular, kids don't have a lot growing up, you know, mm-hmm. and the bodyboard and some flippers, you know, you don't need a quiver or surfboards. You yeah. have one board from three foot to 30 feet, mm-hmm. and, and that's what you use. And uh, it opens up so much for them, and it's such like a lower entry requirement, you know, financially to get in. And yeah, it's, it's true. easy for learning and stuff. Not that I haven't had sessions like sort of, dominated and it's it's frustrating because yeah they're getting a lot more waves than me but um you know respect where respect is due like yeah if you're because i've actually heard that said like a bunch of different times where somebody will, like talk shit about somebody else for like a second and they'll be like but they charge though you know like yeah and, yeah I think, they need to take a closer look in the mirror then the shit talking is like you know but so it was bodyboarders and then it was longboards and then when stand-up paddleboards came out Suddenly, like it takes the heat off the yeah the dick draggers and the loggers, and now there's the stand up guys that no one likes, and uh-huh. and they'll try and like ban them from certain breaks depending on where in the world you are. Yeah, yeah. And now foiling's facing the same thing. Um, I try to be a good ambassador. Yeah. I try to communicate a lot in the water because people will say shit when, the, you know, you're you're out of your shot, mm-hmm. but usually they won't say it to your face. Mm-hmm. So if if you get like a sideways look from somebody or or someone just isn't sure like how the how the rules work like usually the guy closest to the peak gets the wave but if i'm on my third connection it's like a little irresponsible of me to like pick off the best one right there yeah. if someone else is in a good spot for it so i try to be like i always let waves go dude mm-hmm. surfing anywhere all the time um it's exciting for me to see like good action in a lineup mm-hmm. and to be part of it instead of just like hogging everything yeah i'm sure i've had days where i was greedy but yeah, I mean we've all we've all been like that, especially if you're like on a bit of a tear. You know? Yeah. Um, but I always like to say it's uh it's free to give a you. Doesn't cost anything to give somebody a you into a wave. And like as a younger surfer, when I get that you from somebody like if I'm surfing in Spring Lake, like on a lineup I don't know, uh, and like a guy that I have never surfed with before gives me a you as I drop into that wave, it I feel fantastic. I feel like I'm not like I belong there, but like I'm not hated there and I'm way more likely to give him the next wave. Yeah. It's energizing. Yeah. It's awesome. And and that's so much more exciting. Like I've surfed really good sessions alone. Never as like great even, mm-hmm. uh, never as great as, as surfing with your friends or, or yeah. just with a good group. Like just in LBI, there's gosh, probably more than a dozen guys. I don't think I ever text them. Yeah. Call them. <laughs> I surf with them all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You always see each other. and uh, It's like you're going down to the kitchen. Like, you don't tell anybody to meet you in the kitchen. You know, you're just like, it's where you live. Everyone's there, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I don't know. That's, that is much more exciting. I know, like, you know, standing in a tube, like, you're so focused on the takeoff or mm-hmm. just, like, that stream of consciousness, all reflex. Yeah. And then it's always a surprise when I hear, like, yelling. Yeah, yeah, from from the shoulder and like people are screaming for you and it's like wow that's so cool like yeah like and also you know the reflex like when you're um when you're standing on the inside and you see like a a reeling tube come at you it's your instinct to like 
either put your hands on your head or like point at it, right? And if you're alone, <laughs> like you're pointing at it and there's like nobody there. Yeah. But no. if your boy's behind you, you're like, did you see that? Did you see that? And there's something about like somebody also seeing something crazy and you guys like sort of both get more stoked about it than you would if you were alone. Yeah, the surfing kind of takes a backseat sometimes when uh-huh. it's just so beautiful out there. Yeah. Um, we were in Canada snowboarding uh, a few years ago and you know, a friend of mine leaned over to me and he's like, you know, if, if we were just hiking this, it would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know, to say nothing of the fact that, like, the snow conditions are good, the trails are incredible, mm-hmm. look at this view. But just being there is, you're so lucky. Where so, were you in Canada? We were in Revelstoke. Oh, nice. We, hit a, we did, like, a little powder highway trip, went to a couple different mountains. But Cool. But where, where he said that to me was Revelstoke. And it, it's so beautiful. There's a lot of prominence. It's, like, 5,000 vertical feet. Mm-hmm. And it ends in this like river valley and you know, the sun's hitting and it sometimes it'd be like raining at the base and snowing up top oh, and you're in this like surreal snow globe. And I, I've certainly felt that surfing before too, where mm-hmm. the sets are bombing like a hundred yards north and south of you and you're staring into them sideways and yeah, and the wind is just right. Like not just offshore, but like that perfect 10 degree window where it's mm-hmm. super clean, not too windy and. Maybe there's like a seal or a dolphin or something weird that comes out and yeah. like makes the session extra special. And that get, that's a good equalizer too. Like or like a whale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. Have you gotten close to any? Yeah, several times. Yeah. Oh man. I've done it even like surf instruction. Oh wow. Like I had a kid on the front of my board and a whale goes by, and that's maybe their second time in the water. Oh. And it's it's my second time seeing a whale in like ten years. Wow. Uh, yeah, it just totally blows their mind. How minds. did the kid react? Oh, he loved it. He, you know, he's like spooked, but mm. also thought it was super cool. And then every time we had a lesson after that, he'd be like, "Where's the whale?" <laughs> like, no, dude. Like, you don't just get a whale every time you surf. Like, that might be the only one you see in your life. Yeah, that's funny. He could probably go his whole life surfing and not see that a whale that close ever again. But yeah, just just being in the ocean and uh, and definitely like the people can make the session too. You know, I've had yeah. good and bad vibes in the water. And mm-hmm. to your point, like good is always better and you can play a big role and mm-hmm. i mean i think you know we're recording this at bradley beach i surf right down the street and i mm-hmm. i would say the vibe is overwhelmingly positive i love it like there's nothing more i love about the summer like i've never felt so connected to like a community when like i walk down the street from my shed i say what's up to my neighbor say what's up to the gate guard say what's up to the lifeguard on the way to the water, get in the water, and there's all the surfers that are always there, there. Like, that makes me feel so good in, like, such a different kind of way. And I'm so happy to, like, share it with everybody and everybody, like, you know, comes back. It's so nice. Yeah, I think deep down, like, even the guys that play tough in the water, uh, it's not here, but, you know, Mm -hmm. we've all encountered it. They they just want to shake that off and smile and talk, like... Yeah. You just have to be the one to break the ice, you know, common enough. Like, I'll see someone and they give me, like, a sideways stare. We're the only ones out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And there's plenty of waves, but they won't say good morning. They're, like, afraid to have fun or something. And uh-huh. you'll you'll kind of break the ice, just, mm-hmm. you know, say anything. And you see, like, relief wash over them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're sort of, like, preemptively acting like a dick in case I am. Yeah. It's such this, like, macho no, Dick that's a really good way to put it. Like, ego. I do see people get relieved. Yeah, that's cool. Because if, if the same guy ran into you and you're at, like, a 
friend's friend's house or something, mm -hmm. a cocktail party, or neither of you knows anyone. And then you strike it up and you find out you both surf. You're going to have so much in common. You're going to mm -hmm. be talking about Costa Rica and you're going to be talking about, yeah, like, exactly. you're going to be best friends, but they wouldn't necessarily act the same way in the parking lot of the water. Mm -hmm. Unless if you give them a chance. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That is an interesting dynamic. It's funny. Uh, when I was in Costa Rica, it's like you have to roll the dice on that as far as like languages go too. There's yeah, a that's kind of fun though. It was cool. There's a lot. <laughs> How's your Spanish? It was. It got pretty good, especially because I was there for a while. Um, but I can't like my my ear is no good. So like if somebody says something to me in Spanish in the water, it's all slang and spoken really fast, and so that I can't really hear it, but I can say shit. Um, but anyway, like you have to look at somebody and like figure out whether or not they speak English or Spanish, and decide which language to say hello to them or good morning to them in, which is pretty cool. And then if they're also cool, then you have, like, this little Spanglish conversation. Yeah. And then, like, sometimes there's no pressure to, like, talk because, you know, you don't speak the same language. Yeah, I mean, well, to your previous point, that, yeah. that you is... Universal. You know, yeah, it's pretty universal. <laughs> yeah. there's, I, I don't think a language barrier would be a good reason not to get along with the people you're serving with. Yeah, you know? no, of course. Um, yeah, it might make conversation difficult, but you're still there for the same reason. Like, uh... -huh. uh I know in Europe it was like they might speak Portuguese, German, mm -hmm. Spanish, English. You don't, you know, it was even more of a roll of the dice. Same thing like Southeast Asia. Like, yeah. You know, anywhere you travel, you'll run into that. But, you know, you can tell if they like you or not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right away. Oh, yeah. As actually, since you said you traveled a bunch, like, what do you do? What's your reaction when somebody has just paddled out? You've been out for 20, 30 minutes and they're paddling past you in the lineup skipping your place in line i don't care you just stay there i yeah i don't care <clears throat> i don't i some people complain about like back paddling and stuff mm -hmm. uh we're not in the heat here okay you know and like i've made a lot of sessions like you know you could almost call it like a a you know it's not like i made a career out of like it's, it's just surfing but mm -hmm. sitting wide first of all reading lineups that was like a skill from the beach patrol i scan like crazy mm -hmm. uh learn your keyholes if it's like someplace exotic and it's mm -hmm. you know entry and exit can be tricky like just stand and watch mm -hmm. um and you're identifying the locals you're seeing who's who and you're gonna get waves if you, you pay attention yeah so yeah you that system just pays off and a lot of times i'll, I'll avoid the peak on purpose and I'm from the East Coast, so, like, I don't need the best wave in mm -hmm. Bali. Yeah. I need, like, any wave because yeah. most most takeoffs are, are better than what we have here. So, like... You need a wave. Yeah, yeah. I just want to surf and have fun. Yeah. And, like, I'll sit wide and wait for a set that, that swings wider on the reef. Mm -hmm. And no yeah, one's and around. Especially on a reef, you can... If you watch it long enough, you'll go, like, all right, after the set, it kind of gets, like, hits the reef a little different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or, or uh, point breaks. Mm -hmm. You can sit further down on the end. You don't need to be all the way up at the top. Um, or even like, let's, you know, to go back to your example, let's say it's like a pretty crowded spot. It's a consequential wave and the takeoff zone is tight, mm -hmm. you know, like. Yeah, like a boil with. Yeah, like a parking spot, you know, yeah. like 30 guys are trying to jam in there. First, I usually avoid spots like that. Um, but yeah, back to like like a super competitive spot, you know, and someone's trying to paddle past you, like you still don't know what's, what's coming over the horizon. Mm -hmm. 
And I know I've surfed places, Lakey Peak in Sumbawa as a wave like so that. So you tend not to defend your position in the lineup? Uh, well, it depends. Like, I mean... Because I just, I feel like... Yeah, my instinct, like, maybe, like, I'm just trying to compete too much. Uh, but, like, if I'm sitting there and I'm, like, I'm seventh in line and then I'm fifth and then I'm fourth, right, and now a set's about to come, but this guy who just caught the last set wave, he was in first in line and now he's supposed to be ninth in line. But I see him paddling up and he paddles past my friend and he's about to paddle past me. You don't paddle with him? Uh, no, I've seen guys paddle each other out of position just because they're so busy measuring dicks. They're not, <laughs> they're not paying attention to like where the rip bowl is and where they're trying to take off. And then now everyone's too deep mm -hmm. and one guy drops in on a second, a third guy drops in on him and it's chaos. And I let all that sweep past me because sets come in three and five and six waves. Yeah. And they all usually do that on the first or second. And then I can pick like whatever. Yeah. And depending on how whatever different. I want the angle is they all might be out of position for the second and third one. Because yeah. I'm, and dude, first. not that I haven't been frustrated in crowds, but mm -hmm. again, like it's usually a problem you have with yourself. Like, did you just blow a takeoff? Yes, and I have yes, to I like, did. yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, our waves, like with the jetties, the rip kind of takes you out and you, you by default, you're in the front of the line uh -huh. sort of. And like, maybe you get a wave right away. Maybe you don't. Um, Again, I, I'm usually in the habit of letting one go. If I see a guy and I think he's been sitting for a while and he's in the spot for a good one, I could take it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to cheer for him. But yeah, yeah. Almost yeah. always. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the the whole like, I don't know, people say like, oh, surfing is inherently scarce. It's inherently selfish. I don't, I never agreed with that ethos. Full no. stop. Just, it doesn't make sense to me. It's a poor excuse for. Yeah, that's a human problem. That's yeah, exactly. Problem. It's That's human behavior. Waves couldn't be more. It would list. It's, it's literally list endless. Years. Yeah. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like, it's not even like the wind like creates the waves. It's like the wind is the waves. Like, or it's, uh, it's very efficient the way they're made. Um, I'm happy that's how they're made. And the odds that there are none left is very, very low. Yeah. I think, uh, and in Jersey, especially like we have pretty limited options, swell and wind. Mm -hmm. Usually if it's firing and one spot, there's like hundreds of other jetties yeah. peaks that you could go and pick. And that's why I love spring Lake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you can spread out there. It's a big playing field. Seagirt too. Mm -hmm. I've had incredible sessions there that I can't even see anyone else. You're just hundreds of yards from the next surfer. You kind of wish more people. Yeah. Yeah. It's we're, funny. We're there to share it with you. Um, yeah. And then I see the crowds at like, like Manasquan, mm -hmm. you know, I guess that's the big one or, or Bayhead. Bayhead will have a mile of beach with, screaming right tubes and three blocks are crowded yeah so, yeah you know, spread out yeah what do you guys it's just habit at that point yeah like i'm not trying to be on the cover of surfer magazine or something you know i just want to get good waves yeah that, i've actually never made my way to manasquan inlet uh me neither really i've never surfed it we checked it once and i was like we're out of here it's pretty packed but i mean it's real good like it's i'm sure it is i'm kind of happy that we have a little bit of a hub like that yeah wooden jetty is is definitely uh a spot on the map it's probably a similar uh, kind of thing sure yeah a lot of people go down but it's more geographically removed mm -hmm. you have to cross like a bottleneck bridge you have to get all the way down the end of the island uh mm -hmm. and you could get skunked so besides it's usually like a river of pain like the current there can be mm -hmm. super gnarly yeah uh but on a good north it's like maybe one of the only clean spots in the state that's mm -hmm. still holding swell so you know without going all the way down to like margate or something mm -hmm. uh so feel really lucky to have that wave growing up 
and that's about as, as crowded as I can handle. Yeah, I have a hard time with crowds. Maybe, I mean, it probably definitely is like me, just because I actually didn't feel like I surfed that well in Costa Rica, and there was I was around so many people that surfed so much better than me. Oh, yeah, if you think crowds are bad here, you travel, you see different. I couldn't get over it. <laughs> and, like, the scarcity problem is a thing if you're in, like, a small town, and then, like, the wave at Playa Negra is, like, one rock. Like, and so that's a pretty big issue for me. Um, and so, yeah, it was me, like, primarily that got me frustrated. Because there were other people in that crowded lineup that were happy. But, like, if you're not surfing well and you're sunburned and tired and you, like, get in people's way, like, I don't want to be that person. And I was just beating myself up about it, like, a bunch. I couldn't even enjoy it for a while. Yeah, there's a domino effect. I've had sessions where, like, your, your self-esteem is pretty low at the end. Yeah. And, um, you know, there is, I guess, like, about being backpaddled and stuff, like, there is an appropriate amount of aggression in the water, mm -hmm. but the thing to remember is respect gets respect. Uh, we were at this spot in Bali and my friend paddles around a local, like basically what you just described. Mm -hmm. um, you know, gets in the spot for like w a really good wave, mm -hmm. uh, really technical takeoff. Like, and he pulled it off and the guy didn't burn him, you know, probably could have like thrown his weight around and said, no, it's mine. First of all, he's super talented, gets tons of waves. So my friend wasn't like ruining his day, mm -hmm. <laughs> not by any stretch, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, every situation is different. And in this one, he, it, from where I was sitting, it looked like my friend, you know, my buddy, Matty, he, he just sort of earned it for himself. Mm. And, you know, no one paddles around this guy. Yeah. But he did. And he took a chance. And it was like, we had, we, and we'd been showing our faces there a lot. There, mm -hmm. There's like some context, but, you know, back to what I was saying, like respect gets respect. Yeah. And if, if you commit and go for it and you make the wave, you know, you're, you're much more likely to, you know, like earn the respect of the locals yeah. versus like if you cower and back off, now you just become invisible to them. Yes. And, yes. you know, they're not going to regard you. They're certainly not going to give you a wave. You know, sometimes, like, you do have to go and take it, mm -hmm. but within limits. Yeah. No, I hear you. And I definitely played a little bit of the part in that latter form. Um, but it's uh, it's all water under the bridge now. And it's hopefully turning into hair on my chest. You know, yeah, right. Learn from better. it. Learn from it. Because you'll, you'll go to California, Hawaii. You'll go to a lot of different places. And yeah. you're like, man, I thought the crowds could get bad at home. But this is like nothing compared. Yeah, I surfed. Um, uh, it's a it's a left all the time. Like I surfed blacks. I surfed like uh, like overhead blacks one time. And I'd never seen the crowd like that before in my life. Yeah. And like that's a really critical takeoff. And there's when so many people paddle for a wave and you have to focus a lot on trying to get into the wave and also making sure there's nobody to the left and right of you going. I had never experienced that to that degree before. And both of those things combined, I just, I couldn't deal with. And like, I had like a bad session. Yeah. So I learned from it. Yeah. You know, you're, you still got to surf like big clean blacks. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. No, it was good. You know, just to be out there. And what's, and what's nice about that is like a little bit down the, like on the, just on the outside of that gorge that like, the canyon that sucks up all that swell gets a little smaller, a little bit less crowded and whatnot. So there's always other little like playgrounds like that in California to, to work yourself out in. Yeah, and you're likely to do better at those spots if you challenge yourself at the, the more difficult ones. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the east side of Bali, it's mostly right, so I'm on my backhand. Mm -hmm. It's like heavy. Yeah. You know, technical 
steep takeoffs and and then we drive to the other side of the island. It's like I'm usually front side there, mm-hmm. and it's a bit softer. The reefs are more predictable. The water's like a brighter green oh, instead cool. of that black volcanic sand. And oh, man. suddenly you feel invincible, you know, but yeah. only because you challenge yourself in the morning. Exactly. You know, outside your comfort zone a bit. Is that how Bali works? Like in the morning, the wind's good on one side? And then- yeah, so the east side is like kind of more rainy season. Mm-hmm. Although sometimes, yeah, it's, it's clean in the morning on the east side and then. Cool clean in the afternoon out on the bucket peninsula how long is that drive across the island depends on traffic but it's all pretty compact it would be the same as like a day surfing in new jersey and driving between like monmouth and ocean county oh sick yeah it's all it's all pretty compact all the surf is like clustered close together um let's let's start to start to bring this home yeah what other questions do you have on the sheet i mean uh, this is all really good stuff. I looked at your, uh, thank you. I looked at your Instagram before I finished these questions. Uh, I noticed you do some woodworking. Oh uh, yeah, a lot. Yeah. What is something that goes into the process of woodworking that someone might not realize? Um, understanding wood. Uh, you know, like I'm, I'm not so good at, it. I have friends who are like arborists and tree guys and they can walk in your backyard and just point at every tree and tell you like that's a norway maple that's a cedar that's a cherry i'm like wait that's a cherry they go yeah that's i'm like well i thought i knew cherry but they're like nope that's a cherry i'm like how do you know this you you just know yeah um and yeah understanding wood and then understanding wood guys like you know going to like a family-owned lumber mill and just talking shit with the guys in the yard and dang everyone has like their thing that they do like Mm -hmm. you know as a craftsman like you know we're all there for wood, but we all use it differently. Oh, that's cool. And you can learn a lot talking to a guy that does cabinetry and then someone that builds like fine instruments is going to, you know, have other things to offer. Mm-hmm. And then like wood turners that do bowls on a lathe or there's so many different disciplines and, uh, it's just a, a really interesting medium to work with. That is really interesting. Maybe that's the topic for another day. Yeah, I know we can, we can dive into like a whole thing there. Um, but yeah, it's, I started making an alaya for myself mm-hmm. and borrowed some tools from a neighbor. And that was like, it was a short part of my surfing life, mm-hmm. um, just on like a finless plank. And I learned some good lessons from it and then moved on. But the woodworking stuck with me and yeah, I made a whole bunch of stuff. And yeah. I saw you made like some uh, cutting boards, right? Yeah. Lots of cutting boards. Lots of like wedding stuff, mm-hmm. you know, keepsake boxes and like cool personalized signs or whatever. Like cool. it was just like a word of mouth business, um, for and you a few did years, some, like, uh, branding. Yeah. Lots of wood burning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you, I had a wood burner when I was a kid and I was like, Oh, if I make something cool in my shop, I can sign it. I was like, well, what else could I draw besides my name? And you, mm. you can do all kinds of different stuff. What's a wood burner? What does it look like? It's just like a little soldering iron with a, oh. you know, interchangeable tips. You could put different shaped tips on the front. Oh, cool. And, you know, you can write, you can shade, you can emboss and engrave, and you can do like... That's awesome. You know, it just levels up. Like, even like if I got like a, something off the side of the road, like a coffee table or mm-hmm. like a set of chairs or something, you could like detail it, yeah. personalize it flip it keep it yeah i could assume i could imagine how much value that might even add lots of christmases last minute doing wood burnings like (laughs) stuff that people friends and family all have hung in their homes that's cool yeah right on and uh once actually a pair of keel fins oh cool i like cut my own marine ply keels on the bandsaw and Mm -hmm. shaped them down to like what i thought was a 
correct keel. It wasn't, but mm -hmm. <laughs> re reworked them a few times and did like a really cool like wing tattoo on the side of it. Nice. And uh, my friend's dad built me a board and we installed them. Awesome. It's just like it's a little extra special detail that. Yeah, I I tend to enjoy things more if I have a little bit more ownership in them, a little bit more involved. Time invested. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. The board wasn't perfect, but I had a lot of perfect sessions on it. Just yeah, cause, that's cool. You know, I don't know, it was special to me. Did you go out this Monday? Yeah, yeah, humbled. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. we haven't had a whole lot of swell since, like, November. Um, tried to get out in Belmar, couldn't. Went to Bradley Beach, hoping it would be smaller. It was bigger. And, uh... <laughs> yeah made it out and then wished i hadn't i mean i was pulling back on like what felt like 10 footers oh man yeah I'm, I'm not that guy i'm not that guy yeah i don't i mean i had no problem just driving home after that like well not today like <laughs> that's cool like i because you know traveling has taught me like as much as going and surfing bigger waves and then coming home and feeling unstoppable mm -hmm. usually in those places there's days where you're on the beach going nah you know not today yeah. Oh yeah, no, um, I I wasn't afraid of saying that either. Oh yeah, learning when to check your ego and like take responsibility and just mm -hmm. be able to turn your back on it. Um, yeah, a younger me, maybe even like one or two years younger, would kind of hide the fact that I didn't go out on Monday and like try and like not tell my friends. But I'm I'm good now. Yeah, I, I like just nibbled around the edges and then went in. Yeah, some people some people foil, some people stand up, some people surf big waves. I like two to three summer surf, bright blue water. Yeah, I like a little bigger, but Monday was definitely its own set of challenges. Oh yeah, like cold current and some massive, powerful surf. It was really cool. Who else should I have on this podcast? Oh, I don't know, man. Uh, start with the Bradley crew. Yeah, I don't know. Approach the guys in the water, the parking lot. Mm -hmm. Find out their stories. You know, everyone's got something interesting. I think to contribute. I think they all do. Yeah. Yeah, and and usually they'll. Uh, they'll probably refer like the next interesting person. I mean, what's, what's the show primarily about surfing and it's 50% promoting local board swap by talking about surfing. Oh yeah. That's and good. And then the rest of it is just me trying to get better at talking. Yeah. I mean, you start with surfers in the community and then uh, branch out. I mean, there's lots of other board builders. I've mm -hmm. only been doing this a year, like glassing for a, a contract shop and, you know, some place that's like zoned properly and on the books, mm -hmm. not just like ding repair in my garage and, <laughs> yeah. and building wooden boards and stuff. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's tons, especially in Monmouth County. Like I feel like down by us, it's a lot of garage guys mm -hmm. uh, and they have lots of interesting stuff to contribute to, but here there's like much more of an established scene. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, dude, the world's your oyster. You could have a lot of people on. What is your favorite part about America? I don't Yeah, that's a good question. I think, like, especially traveling, you uh, experience culture shock and you miss home. And then you come home and you miss where you were. Mm. Um, what do I love about America? Uh, I feel really lucky to grow up here. Um, yeah, just, I mean, especially, you know, working really hard in the summer. You know, whether it's like restaurant work or surf school or beach patrol. And then September, October, like sort of enjoying surfing and, mm -hmm. you know, being home, seeing family, um, you know, in the winter, you, you could always like snowboard and stuff growing up. Like there's a lot of diversity just in North America, lots of like yeah. cool things to go and see and do. And I've only scratched the surface. I've traveled more outside the country than within it. Mm. Um, 
I think especially where we are, we're like one or two hours away from like so much shit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and more. you you have like major airports there. Yeah. Yeah. So you're you're one or two hours away from anywhere in the world too. Like. Speaking uh, of uh, going anywhere in the world, maybe out of this world, where do you think we go when we die? Oh wow! This took a turn. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, people talk about like, you know, the universe is like four. 18 billion years old or something mm -hmm. like well what was before that and I recently heard someone trying to describe it like the analogy they use is you know the North Pole is the furthest point north well what's further north of that well nothing mm. you know so it's it's so I don't know yeah wherever wherever there wherever whatever it is <laughs> before things started maybe that's where we go I don't know what is where, the where do you think uh most people say nothing. I've had one person give uh, an enlightened answer, and everybody else has said nothing. Yeah, I mean, where were you before you were born? Was that was that nothing yeah. nowhere, or was it something? How do you define something or nothing if you're not conscious? Does it count going somewhere if you're not conscious when you get there? Yeah, I don't know. It feels like I'm here. If you die on your way to the hospital, did you still go to the hospital? No. No, you died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is the meaning of life, Tucker? Man, these are getting heavy at the end. This is the last question. Ask me something else about surfboards, man. <laughs> uh, the meaning of life? I don't know. I think your legacy is a big part of it. You know, what do you leave behind? Uh, I think pro definitely like the most rewarding thing in my life in this past few years has been uh, surf school. I think more so that even than like building boards for people or, or having a great session with your friends. Um, Chris and my fiance, she was telling me the other day, like kids laugh like 400 times a day and it takes an adult a month to reach the same amount, you know, on like the laughter scale. I don't know who measured this or what, but it's probably 400 is a lot. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. and, and when you're doing lessons all day and some of these kids, it's maybe their first time in the ocean. Or, you know, they see a whale. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, you know, a lot of them, like, their dad surf, but they just won't listen to their dad. And they, they sort of pass them off to me because they're at that critical age, like 10, 11, 12. Learn, yeah. yeah, it's time to, like, learn. And, and, like, just tailoring it specific to each kid and making sure that they have fun in the water. And, um, and then their parents text me and they're like, they won't stop talking about surfing. <laughs> Like to me, that's really cool. Like the, yeah. and I've, I've made it a point to like always try to be a good influence and a positive motivator. Uh -huh. And like my favorite, uh, influence that I ever had on a surf lesson was I had a private lesson and there's these two little kids, like a boy and a girl. And I told their mom to show them surfs up the movie with the oh, thing yeah. And surfing. Yeah. And I recommend that too. Actually. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And then they came back the next day. They were like, I want to be chicken Joe. <laughs> and like they were they were quoting all these movies from it they said it was great yeah i think the impact you have on others is, is uh -huh. remarkable and especially kids i mean do you remember being young and like one of the older surfers like took the time out of his day to acknowledge that you exist and mm -hmm. say hi or give you a high five or oh yeah or give you the nod in the water like there's so many and a, an older lifeguard that uh kind of mentored me uh, he pulled me aside one day in like wawa or something and he's like, you see that little kid standing in line? I was like, yeah. He's like, go give him a high five. 
I think I was like 17, you know, I was still like a rookie guard. He's like, you're in uniform, you got the sunglasses, the whistle. Like, he yeah. probably thinks you're amazing. Go yeah. And I did, and I'm, we were in the car, I'm like, what was that about? He's like, don't ever underestimate your impact on others, and especially kids. And uh, that sort of always stuck with me. You That's know, awesome. I, You know, and so meaning of life is like, it's a pretty broad brush, I'm not sure, but I know like, what do I always strive for is to, to be that positive influence. Uh -huh. um, certainly one of the most rewarding things for me to like get that feedback from parents or see the look on a kid's face when they, when they take to it and they're having fun, you know, and like surfing in the ocean isn't like the only way to do that, but it's a good example and, uh, something you should strive for, I think in all things. That's awesome. Thanks Tucker. Yeah. Thanks for inviting thanks, me. Dude.